Hello there. I'm David Fox. I am a game designer from way back, and you are listening to Scene World Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Scene World. My name is AJ. That is Jörg right over there. Here. Right Hello, there. guys. Hello. How's it going? So, um, yeah, good. Yeah. In a minute, we have Christian Spanik. He is Spanik. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. He is He's 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 huge. He's a he's a TV guy in in Germany. He's kind of the Jurg refers to him as the um um and I can't think of the guy's name because Stuart Schaffey. Yes, the Stuart Schaffey of Germany. And I and I actually whilst looking around online, I I've found quite a few things with him in it. So he's not just in Germany. He's elsewhere yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's mainly known for being a pioneer in the web TV field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He did web TV before anybody else. Yeah. Um, no, and he also wrote, he also wrote Amiga books before anybody yes. else. Yeah. So he's kind of the Stuart Schaffe and the Jim Butterfield of Germany. <laughs> Maybe, but he is not so much of a um, tech nerd guy that he would go, that that he would go down on the component level. Mm. Well, nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know that he's he's an awesome guy. He's well, he's we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk to him in a minute. Before that, we've got a little bit of news. Not too much. It's uh it's summer. It's the the summer summer doldrums kind of of yeah. the. Of the scene, so thirty-five I'll... degrees Celsius. Oh my God, it's, it's certainly summer. Uh, wow, that's pretty. Uh, it's pretty warm. It's not that. It's not quite there here. Yeah, it's funny because August is often one of the most hottest um, months where I live, and then September it's going down. It's only about twenty-five here Celsius. Yeah. That's like seventy-five degrees wow. Fahrenheit for Americans. Nice. Ooh. So. Yeah, anyway, so what what we got to talk about, news, um, Gamescom yeah. mainly, and uh, Gamescom for the retro, <laughs> for the retro um, people were really, really, really uh, good. Mm. Um, we had a lot of interviews, we never had so much interviews as we had before. Um, for example, European, <clears throat> European head of operations, Hans Ippisch, of Intellivision, that was a pretty big one. That is. Um, especially because we mentioned him in the podcast before that you would love to talk to him, and yes. so I had his chance to interview him at Gamescom. Um, also, Konami announced a successor to um, Contra, which was a big hit on the NES, and it's mm-hmm. awesome to see another, um, well, another episode of that uh, yeah. for the switch and all and um, um THK Nordic uh, one of the biggest publisher in Sweden slash Austria announced and presented Comanche which was a helicopter action game um, in the year 2000 and they are making a reboot and um, it's going to be um a really, really good with single and multiplayer modes and easy controls and even supporting the old controls and all that stuff. 
was really very great. Um, one of the most surprising one was um, that I, we got an interview with um, Nock Wu, lead graphic artist from uh, Route 59 Studios, and they are working on a manga adventure style game in Austria, mm. and the designers are all Vietnamese, and the publisher is from China. And uh, the target okay. market okay. is the European retro scene. That's, uh, <laughs> That's a totally... Pretty international, yeah. <laughs> like, whoa, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, right. Very cool. And, and, and you've done some interviews and there's some video that you've put out about this already. Yes. Um, and so we'll be yes. linking to a lot of that in the podcast description yes, below. Yes, so. but I'm not finished there yet. Mm -hmm. um, I just finished today the one with Frederick Schreiber from mm -hmm. 3D Realms, and they are working on um, successors using the Doom and the Duke Nukem 3D engine. Okay. okay. So that's that's really awesome, classical 3D action games, and um, it is awesome. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of um, food for the retro uh, people like us. Yes, we'll, we'll that, put links to everything good. that's up at the time of this release, if it's yeah. not all out by then. Well, we can just link to the playlist. Mm -hmm. Then people can people can uh, watch that all by the time yeah. this is out. And we also met Endstream at the Gamescom booth. Yes, you did. That was awesome. Uh, so thanks a lot again, guys. To, to meet you in person. And also David Fox mm -hmm. was there for over an hour geeking out with us about Maniac yep. Mansion and Zach McCracken. Mm -hmm. And I also had a 10, 15 minutes meeting with Chris Bateman. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to make a photo with him, but he was definitely there. Awesome. So everybody awesome. kept the promise and we made an appointment to see them all hmm. at our booth. Which is quite, which is quite amazing. If you see that uh, video game pioneers or computer game pioneers are actually taking the effort to come to our booth to talk mm -hmm. to us rather than us coming to them. I also saw from um, um, a video that was posted by our our good buddy Synad that our our booth was pretty much the uh, the poppinest booth booth in the place. I mean, it was. Martin had turned it into a, a, a dance party at some point, and it looked pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, we had a booth party this year, but but I guess that is part, that is something uh, for the um, Gamescom special yes. edition um, podcast. Either way, yeah. It's anyway, good to see so that we've I got was, the best one. So anyway, I was totally out for a week regarding news. So it's up to HA to tell you yes. what we missed. So probably the biggest piece of news um, that that affects us kind of personally and, and you know, on a, on a personal level is that um, Nick Vivid, who we love, who is recently put out his 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 album um, Blissed Out. And we're going to put a link in the podcast yep. description yep. for you where you can buy that and get the cassette version or CD or digital download or whatever you want to do. Um he is stepping away because of some some life changes and some things going on. He's stepping away from the C64 for a bit. So he has removed, uh, he's taken down his BBS Afterlife. Um, 
and he um he, he thanks everybody that that he's met and has become a friend and whatnot and he hopes to be back in in a year or so and we'll be here when he we'll, we'll be here when when he gets back because because we love him to death he's one of my favorite people in the world and yeah it's not the first break he had he had a few he had a, another break before he mm-hmm. was member of scene world so mm-hmm. he's well, he, he's really He's really one of the like the 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 geniuses of the scene at this point because I mean aside from coding and music I mean the guy is the, he he's the one that that he coded Strike Term he coded the new CCGMS that works with the 64 Ultimate he made he designed the Strike Term modem which I have which is amazing and which is available for free I mean most of the stuff that he does he just puts out for free for everybody as yeah. here's the plans you can print it and make it yourself mm. I, I got mine from him because... And the first thing he did for us was NTSC fixing Voodoo Notre. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Thanks to him, there's an NTSC fixed version of Voodoo Notre. Yeah. Oh, my God. So we'll, we will miss him profoundly for the year that he's not around, but we're hoping that he comes On back. On the positive and... side, there mm-hmm. is a new SeaWorld issue, issue 29. Yes. And we just released this one day before build-up day for Gamescom. And yes. um, I have to say thanks for Martin Wisnowski, Martin Amman, and myself to sit in a Skype call at 9 p.m. working together to put this out and release it on the homepage. And also um, to Rupert from the, um, from the scripted Amiga emulator mm-hmm. who helped yep. us fixing everything. So it would also work right and now. Also- also on to the Oliver, who, who, who came in yeah. clutch. Yeah, yeah. So Oliver Weyerpooks, also one of our heroes, also co, co-designer of the uh, DTV, very known guy. And once again, I feel we have the best people in the staff. Otherwise, our crap wouldn't be so successful. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's 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 what it comes down to is that we've got you know we've got amazing people that are part of the staff and that that without which this magazine wouldn't be a magazine at all, or a podcast, so. or YouTube, or Twitch, or whatever, right. or Gamescom, right. or, or yes. so, and so on. Yes. Right. So that means, so. guys, now you can enjoy issue twenty nine. On the web for the Amiga and the C64, mm-hmm. and this also goes down to twenty eight. So you can also watch twenty eight Amiga on the web. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all out there. Yes. Um, so I got some more news here. Uh, some game news. Um, so there's uh, just been released on the sixty four. Chopper Command um, is a I guess it's an adaptation of a game that was on another platform. I don't know what platform that was, but it is the adaptation was um, handled by Antonio Savona, who is, you know, uh, that's Planet Golf. I mean, he's huge. He's in a lot of games. Um, Steve Day and Saw All Cross, who we spoke to on the podcast, and again, who is one of the big, big, you know, game coders in the scene right now. Wasn't it like music composer, graphic guys, not coders? No, he coded because Saul Cross, one of his first games was um, the the North Sea Inferno or something. Mm. 
Saul Cross is one of those guys that does everything. Yeah, that's funny because we didn't know that until after we did the interview where yeah, yeah. Andrew Fisher was a part in. Mm -hmm. And we actually discovered by his stories that he worked in the same building at Rob Hubbard at the same time Rob Hubbard worked there. Right. Like, right. oh my God. All right, so that, that is available. You can download it apparently um, directly from the CSDB. So that's, that's cool. So it's a free game. Um, also, off of the 64 topic, um, there is a new game called Alpha Ray which is a really, really amazing-looking um, uh, shooter game for the plus four and, and or the expanded 16, the C16. Um, it's, it's horizontal scrolling. It's a shoot-em-up. So it's, you know, you're, you're beep-beep, you know, shoot-shoot kind of thing. Beep, beep, but shoot, yeah, shoot. beep beep shoot shoot yeah, which I I don't think that's ever happened in a game. I don't know what I'm talking about, but beep, beep, shoot, shoot. but the graphics in this game are they look amazing, and that's probably because of the fact that the plus four has slightly better graphics capabilities than the sixty four does. It's got a lot it's more colors. Incompatible with anything else. Yes, yes, but it's interesting to see software made for the plus four, and there is a. There's a budget disc edition, um, which is just the the you know a five and a quarter inch floppy. There's a premium plus edition, which has the uh, a plastic case, full artwork, all that stuff. And then there's a collector's edition box set, which has the the a glossy box, a soundtrack CD, and a bunch of other I guess they call them feelies, the things you get in the games. So that's available for sale and uh, from Cytronic Software. So we'll put a link to that in the podcast description as well. So if you've got a plus four or you've got an emulator for a plus four, because those exist, um, check out the game because it looks amazing. And that's that's what I got. That's all I got. Great. That's 18 minutes of news. Not bad. Hot damn. Groove train. Yeah. So, 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 um, um, Christian Spanik is right over um all over there somewhere somewhere, somewhere around yeah so he's somewhere he might be under the desk i haven't i don't i'm not really sure i gotta we gotta look around for him uh. and then and so so let's go and find him and talk to him about what he's doing right now so today we have christian spanik on the show and the podcast and he is known actually for being a pioneer in the computer journalism tv field and web tv about that so welcome nice to talk to you finally thanks for having me hi jörg hi ag Hello. i hope you're all well well absolutely great welcome. yes welcome to the podcast yeah, so um, I've done an interview series with you for two years about your past that you did, and um, now now we want to talk about your present because you are running a website, Digisaurier, where you right. have a look at the past or at the current technology with the knowledge of the past. Well, that's something different. So let's talk about what you do nowadays. And I, I, I know you also run um, live TV shows, for example, on LinkedIn and all that stuff. So let's talk about that. 
Um, how how did that all start? That you decided to to create this website and uh, make these um, how to say journey. Mm-hmm. Um, let's put it like that. I I had the feeling that the classical TV, especially in that field, will come to an end. Um, I think this is one of the most important points for me, finding out that we had several years, of, I think almost 20 years of, of discussing computers and computer technology on TV. And then I think, especially in Germany and also in Austria and Switzerland, um, time was over for it. Too much magazines, YouTube came up, all this stuff. So I thought uh, it better to leave before they, you know, back you and put you out of the studio. So I, I decided to, to change um, the whole idea of presenting computer themes on moving pictures. And I came to the point, why not do it with uh, the technology I, I was reporting on uh, and use that technology for reporting with it. So this was the idea of creating channels and ideas and programs about uh, computers. And the other thing is I found out is um, when you when you are on on the net, you are very you have to be very focused on themes. If you are too broad, it doesn't work because people don't switch from one channel to the other and decide to to you know stuck with you or not. It's more that they decide to find something, and we're searching for it. And if you are not too clear on the focus you have, you always, from my point of view, have the problem people don't know what you want from them. So that's why I decided to start with Stigisauria which was talking about especially the whole point about computer history, especially in Germany and in uh, Austria and in uh, Switzerland. And on the other hand, um, um, also discussing actual things, for example, like AI or things like that, with the knowledge from the past. Because, I mean, both of you know, um, if you're a little bit longer in that field, You saw a lot of things coming up, popping up, being highlighted, being a great new thing, the next big thing, and then suddenly disappears. Some stay and them disappears. And so I said, could be a good idea of having those both points at a focus being, um, you know, not actually the guy who say, oh, there's this new handy and look at that feature and that feature and this feature more discuss, do we need that, um, which is On the other hand, also technology positive. So we are not the guys who say, ah, you don't need this, this is bullshit. But we try to check out if you really need it in your normal life. And if not, Digisauria normally won't report on it at all. At all. You have also mentioned sometimes our content. For example, you mentioned um, Chuck Paddle. And I remember reading about it on your blog and you said, The um, special thing about this is he doesn't talk to a lot of people. Uh, so you you said in the, your blog post on Digisaurier that this alone is something special and should be considered rare. And I have to admit, at this time I spoke to him. I didn't I didn't consider it to be so special. I just you know emailed some people and inquired if they would like to talk to us and. She did. So um, it's interesting to see it from your point of view as a professional journalist, because for me it was just sitting here and listening three hours to Chuck Petal stories. And for you it was much, much more, it seems. You know, I think 
on, the, on, the, on one side, the technology which you use to, to, to broadcast has changed. On the other side, all of the behavior of the people has changed. Um, when you were asking somebody, whoever, um, 20 years ago for an interview, you had to do with a whole lot of people if he is, was one of the big shots, a management or the company, communication stuff, all those guys. Um, and now it's more like you call somebody and he calls you back and you just do the interview. Mm -hmm. So quite a lot of way of communicating, um, giving interviews, um, talking to people has changed quite a lot. So it was for me, for example, um, if you if you look at the story uh, from Nolan Bushnell, I was really chasing that guy in, in the Silicon Valley. He was, uh, I mean, I think he, he created a new company every six months at days. So when I was in one company, he always was away. I was in the next company, he already was away. So it took me really a while to find out where the hell he is and how I can contact him. And this was the time before the big net thing. So you didn't have all those internet tools you have now to find somebody. I Means from my point of view, it is in professional journalism, it has changed because now I think almost anybody is willing to give you an interview on which channel ever, because everybody thinks, you don't know, how, perhaps it's important. It's so much of, 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 uh, of channels, so much of shows that people really don't know how to decide. So this is from my point of view, I think why they decide if it looks professional to me, then I go for it. If it's a small block or a big block or whatever. Years ago, it was a question of from who you are. Are you from in Germany, RD and ZDF or not? If not, I don't have time for you. So these things have changed from my point of view. So what is the thing that um, is the most special about Diki Sauria and what you do nowadays that other, other portals don't do, you think? I think it's a, it's a way of how we look at things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a question of um, of how, do we have different topics? No, we don't have because the topics are given by something. If you have a Cambridge Analytica scandal on Facebook, this is simply a scandal, a scandal, no doubt about it. So you can decide to report on it or not. But the question is always how you report on it. What do you say to people? For example, the Digisaurier way was to say, yeah, we understand that some people now say, I will quit Facebook, I go out of it, something like that. But we said, you know, perhaps it has more to do with the things, how you created your friendship list on Facebook and not so much what Facebook is doing, who you get in your timeline. It's a question of how, how much you tell Facebook about yourself and not so much a question, what is Facebook doing with it? And on the other hand, I mean, this is no new message. Um, if, if, if you don't pay for something, you pay, but only on different way and you did not know. Yeah. So it wasn't a big, a big surprise. I mean, it wasn't okay what was going on with Cambridge Analytica, but my point is you can't blame the industry Facebook, Google, whoever, for everything which happens to you if you are not the one who is thinking about what you're doing on those internet things. 
So this is perhaps the different way we look at it uh, and perhaps a different way we, we uh, decide about. Another thing is what we do, which is a different thing, is we have a, a little series which is called What the Heck Is. Uh, what the heck is, for example, what the heck is Spotify? I'm quite sure a lot of, of young audience watching the show now say, what, what is what a question? Sure, Spotify, Spotify. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people haven't grown up with Spotify. They grew up with CDs, right. <laughs> with um, LPs, with, with uh, you know things to, or with a Walkman. Things with I don't know. Uh, no, I don't have one here. Or or you were were um, grown up with things like that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a Game Boy. So this was great new technology our days. So. If you, I don't know if you know, there's a series in, in, on YouTube which says what kids do with things like a Walkman. So they give, them, they give them actual kids, they get a Walkman, and they say, so this thing makes music, figure out how. It's so funny what them trying to, to get music out of those things <laughs> because they don't know how. Yeah. And now just take it on the other side. If you're not grown up with Spotify and you, you saw perhaps in Facebook or whatever where you are, um, somebody is listening to that and that on Spotify. So you think ah, Spotify is a kind of music listening thing where everybody knows what I'm listening to, which is not true. But that's what you find out about it, first of all. So like I just uh, described with the kids on an old Walkman, it's the same thing with older people. And I mean, it's about 40 to 50 up which perhaps don't know really what is Spotify, but the problem is everybody around, if they say, yeah, you use Spotify, everybody's, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) Nobody never says, I don't know what it is. So we decided to make a small series which is called What the Heck Is, for example, Spotify. And we tell the people what the heck it is (laughs) and what they can do with it. And it's not a thing which is only for young people which like actual music. It's quite great for older people who are really searching for their music memories because they have a big, enormous amount of music there. Right. So, you know, this is a different way of looking at things, um, like perhaps a site like Mobile Geeks or whatever will do. Mm. I can, I can uh, kind, uh, kind of understand that. For example, when I talk to people that are 20 plus and I tell them I'm talking to um, pioneers in the computer field, for example, Forrest Moser, who invented the uh, synthesis voice for voices, voice synthesis. Mm. And at this time, I interviewed him like uh, three years ago. He was 88. And what younger people ask me, like, how the heck did he even know how to start a Skype call? And I was like, well, this person invented electronic and computer stuff. I'm probably mm. I'm sure he, he he can understand how modern technology works. Simple things like Skype calls shouldn't be a problem. Um, but but for the younger generation, twenty plus, this is like wow, how did you manage to get him using Skype? And I was like, okay. So um, because when I approach people Many of those are 70s, 80s, or um, even above 90, and I never have this thought like, oh, maybe he has a problem establishing a call with me. I just go for it. As an email, they say yes. I send them my Skype name. They uh, they approve approve my contact request, and we do the call. It's never been a real big issue uh, because of age. 
at least from you my experience. I think, I think age is not a question of age. It's a question of your brain, mm -hmm. how you see things, how you feel about things. I know quite a lot of people which are 40, and if it comes to technology, they act like they are 60 or 70s or 80s. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's not a question of, of real age. It's a question of your brain age, how you, how you are willing to, to find out about new things. And if you are a developer or, a, or somebody from the early ages of electronic digitalization, because we had a lot of things before that. Um, but if you're one of those guys, one of those women, um, I think you are willing to do it and you can do it because you are used to that this damn machine doesn't do what you want. Right. It never did what you wanted it to do. But you find a way down, you find a way out to to manage it anyway. And I think so the problem you just described that somebody who is younger says, Hey, how did he manage to Skype? It's just a point like um they don't know about technology behind, they just use it. And so I think it's not a digital native, it does not mean he's a digital understander. <laughs> mm -hmm. It just means he was born in an age where digital was everywhere and he can just use it. It's like me, if ask, my, ask me about the, the oil in my car, I simply don't know where it is. Mm -hmm. It's not my business. And I think quite a lot of people all have the same feeling, the same acceptance of te digital technology, they just use it. They don't know what is behind, they don't care about it, which is, on some places, very good, and on some places, very bad. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's definitely, it's become more of a, uh, um, computers and electronic devices have become more of an appliance that you just, you have. It's like an oven that, that is there and you use, and I remember back in, you know, way back when you'd get a piece of software and if there was something wrong with it and it didn't do what you wanted it to do, well, you had to figure out how it worked and fixed it because right. you weren't getting updates. You weren't getting bug fixes. It's like that was – this disk was all you had and, and if it won't print, then it's your job to make it print. And <laughs> – and a lot of kids, a lot of, or not kids, but a lot of people today, even adults, they've, they've grown up with this abstraction layer between them and the machine where it's like mm -hmm. they can click on a thing and it works, but actually how it works is, is lost at this point. I think you're right because um, especially if you, if you think about the, the usage of computers, uh, in, in my early computer days, I was a freak because I... <laughs> I, I knew about computers something. Right. And if you could that days um, say something like auto exec but you have to check the auto exec but to check something. Whoa, you were an expert. Right. <laughs> okay. Just mm -hmm. because you know about the word. Um, and so I think um, it's it has <clears throat> changed quite a lot, which is very good for the industry because people just use their smartphones. They don't think about it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's very bad for that what happens to us. If you if you look at, at the way how we we were trained to accept something which shows up on our displays. We have we were trained to believe what showing up here must be the truth, must be right. Right. And now we learn in a hard way, this is not true. It depends on who 
is sending it. Mm -hmm. Starts with with viruses and and all that stuff, which you had on disk mm -hmm. that days, <laughs> and now they came through the internet to you, and now it's up to things like news and and stories and and the way how to tell people something mm -hmm. about politics about I don't know climate change things like that. So you see, on the other on one hand, there will be no greater Thunberg uh, without um, the internet. She she is only a girl, mm -hmm. 16, 17 years old, right? So without the internet, she never can could have get that those impact. Right. On the other hand, I don't know if some politicians which are in charge now would be have be elected <laughs> if uh, there was no internet. Yeah, yeah, it has made a it's 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 there's a profound impact that it's had on everything, and not not a good impact most a lot of times. I think it's something like that, you know. It yeah. has good times and bad times, and and you. The problem is you can't get the one without the other one, mm -hmm. so you have to accept both. But what we can do is, and this is perhaps one of the things we we trying to do at Digisaria, we're trying to give the people an idea of what that means, um, although on the on on their social impact life, not only on their social media life, on mm -hmm. their on their social life they have every day. Uh, what it means if they are in Facebook, if they are on Twitter, if they are on Instagram, and and how to to get done with all those things in a good way. That's what mm -hmm. we're trying to do. But you know, it's a hard job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've mentioned it a couple of times. I have been recognized at the bakery, you know, um, in the Central Railway Station. That is because somebody saw an interview I did with a tech pioneer on YouTube. It wouldn't have happened if I wasn't doing all those interviews. Then nobody would have even known about me. Then I would have been just another um, uh, customer buying their buying his breakfast, you know. Uh, <laughs> Which, by the way, would not be the worst case you can have in your life. Um, um, so so uh, it's okay if you're not recognized by anybody um, and you're not a celebrity. But I think, which is more important, um, if you do that what you do really from your heart then people will find out that you do it from your heart and then you get those uh, reputation that the next one goes to your show and the next one goes to your show so this is much more important you can produce this you never could have done this 20 years ago um, you can put the whole thing on air which you never could have done 20 years ago mm -hmm. and you could do the idea of your interviews in the way you like it. And if you find out that people also like it, then you get your audience. And that's it, which was different in the first days of, of when I was starting with, with TV. Hmm. Going back to the Nolan Bushnell example, for example, for us it was pretty easy. I was interviewing Walter Day. He thought the interview was pretty cool. He's friend with Nolan Bushnell. So he emailed Nolan Bushnell, CC'd me in the email, said, you want to be interviewed by this guy? He is really good. And that was it. A matter of 10 minutes. <laughs> so that um, um, just to just to play on this reputation thing, that that was one of the easiest interviews I've I've could uh, get. And you said it was one of the hardest for you. So that's a totally different perspective. Um, yeah, sure. But, but just just think about the first thing you just said. You send an email. 
<laughs> I couldn't. There was no email address from Noam Bushnell or from whom, from whom else. So what I have to do is I have to do the classical journalistic research means getting a phone book of, of Sunnyware at that time, trying to find out which was the last company you know from, then trying to find out if those guys he was before still are willing to give you an address where he's going to, and then, you know, trying to get to get hold of him, which is a completely different thing nowadays. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing is, uh, when I was in U.S., I mean, um, and you, you were trying to get an interview with Nolan Bushnell, which that days was, uh, he was uh, uh, doing quite a lot of new things and, and um, he was interested in getting public, but not so much in Germany. So then you call him up and say, uh, hi, Mr. Bushnell, I'm Christian Spanik. I'm working for German television. He said, uh-huh. And you said, it's ZDF. And he said, I, I mean, he didn't say it, but it was never heard of it. What's it? Uh, I mean, this is the biggest television station we have in Germany, uh, one of the both. So, you know, you it was a real, real, much more harder way of convincing people to do something with you, which has changed quite a lot now. I think it's good that it has changed and it makes your job much, much easier. And I think you're, that what you're doing there um, is, is a great job because what you're doing is you're conserving people who you don't know how long they will live anymore. And they did so much for that industry. It's important to talk to those people. And nowadays, um, to be honest, I've, I have more people uh, where I have to go, to go to funerals than anything else from that bunch of people I know. Right. Because something happens. It's not, they not only have to be 80 or 90 years old. Some of them are 50 or 45. It's just, you know, illness, whatever, and suddenly those people are away and you have never chance again to talk to them. For example, um, one of the guys I really wanted to interview and we didn't match it in, in time was Gerald Hahn, who was the um, official press person of, of um, Commodore in uh, Germany. And, you know, suddenly I got a call from his daughter, which told me um, I have to inform you that my father has passed away. And, you know, I had not, not not because of the interview. First of all, I said, uh, no. I'm, my whole feeling was, no, he was not so old. Um, and then I found out what I have also lost because this opportunity to ask him about those days in the beginning of the Amiga in Germany, all that stuff about uh, after C64 and then change to Amiga and all that stuff. He, he was a great person to tell, and I didn't manage it. I mean, this is really awful. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a bit more positive stuff. What what are the <laughs> stories you've managed to preserve? It depends. Um, first of all, we really covered quite a lot of um, stories about technology when it was actual. I started in uh, with with the uh, computer shows in about 1992. So and that was. I always had um, um, uh, a camera with me, a video camera, somehow different ones. I mean, you have the really old ones, uh, which which was with the tape, things like that, and later on the other ones. But I always was um, um, trying to make some um, moving pictures by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, from from um, companies I was, 
um, to have an interview or to have some shootings or things like that. So, for example, it was the um, uh, family Tremil, perhaps your family with them, um, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, were a, a family who really did quite a lot for all the guys who like Atari <laughs> because they really made Atari great from my point of view. Um, so Jack Tremil was a real, he was already in about 50, I think, when I'm, met him first time. So uh, we did some interview with him in that days, which is quite different from doing it now. So, um, you know, what you do now is talking with people with, uh, in a retrospective. How do they see things now, which all the knowledge from now? Mm -hmm. What I had, I had the chance to talk to people in the years when things were happening, which is very interesting because they see things different. Right. They tell you things where they are believing in, which did not work. <laughs> For example, <laughs> I had a great interview with the ex-CEO of um, Microsoft in Germany, mm -hmm. who was uh, talking to me about, um, about the secret of success from success Microsoft, how they did it, even if they were not the best all the time. He told me, which I did not know, that there was a meeting between uh, Bill Gates and Konrad Zuse on the CBIT. I did not know about that. Hmm. Though, you know, though I preserved more the stories, not so much um, only the people. So if I, I search some, some material from the first Google handy, I have it here somewhere. Hmm. On that side of the camera, <laughs> there's all that stuff, all the cassettes, all that inside. <laughs> Hang on, I'll wait a second. Ah. Things like that, you know, mm -hmm. which is a better come SP. And uh, with a cassette, which you put in a professional editing recorder. <laughs> and the story is um, the Sony Wayo in the early days when they started with the Wayo, when it was a big success because mm -hmm. it was so small and so slim and things like that. This is still here. On this material, and what I'm doing actually is, uh, um, I don't know if you can see it here behind me, there are all those players and things to digitize that stuff. So no, no, actually, actually, you have blurred out the background, so we can't see Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's around here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you see all those machines, which were incredible expensive these days. When, when Two or three of those machines are are at a price of about 100,000 or 150,000 mark. Now I, I bought them for about 3,000 or 4,000 marks or, or euros because they are much cheaper now because nobody needs them anymore, but I need them to digitize all the stuff. Right. So my focus is more about telling um, the stories, not the much only about the people. Um, one thing we did at the Gizaria, which is not a moving picture, but, but it's it's a, we try to make moving pictures of it. Is for example, we told um, the stories of the women in IT industry. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a whole series about those women from other lovelies. Everybody knows her, but a lot of people don't know. Uh, for example, Miss Hooper. Uh, Miss Miss Hooper is a is a great person <laughs> um, who did quite a lot of great things for computers and for computer industry. So these are things we are focusing on, um, trying to find stories which are not only person-driven, which are also driven by, by the things which came out, 
And we're trying to, um, to find all those old interviews in that days when those people were acting and were in charge mm -hmm. because it's a different story to talk to them in the very moment they, for example, if you remember the, uh, when Atari started with the uh, transputer chips, mm -hmm. yeah, so they were curious about it. And Alvin Stumpf, the former chief of, of Atari, gave us interviews about the transputer and how he will change the industry. Yeah, but he didn't change uh, Atari. <laughs> they, they didn't make it. Um, or, for example, when Atari had this, um, I don't know how it was called, a, a gaming console, mm -hmm. which a color display. I don't know if you remember that. The Lynx. Yeah, Lynx, a, right. Yeah, yeah. Which was not a big success at all. <laughs> no, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> We have an interview with, with those guys when they told us this will be the next big thing and will be great and things like that. So it's a different way of telling a story like, like you do it now when you talk to people in a retrospective way than you do it in the actual moment when they were doing things. So for example, great great uh, example is um, David Nagel. David Nagel was one of the, in in US, one of the um, uh, technology uh, high flyers at, at Apple. And we were doing an interview with him and, and, and we were talking about things which were not there, but he thought will be important in the future, whatever that means. And one of the things he, he was talking about, about a network, I said, I would love to have a system where I, when I change place and I change device, then I can have all my data with me without just, you know, making disks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about 1996 or something like that. So the internet was somewhat here, but the idea of, of having a cloud-based service was not there, but there was something in his head mm -hmm. trying to describe something, which he, now, when you, when you ask him now, he will tell you, I thought in 1996 about, huh, huh, and he can tell you what, what he thought about. In that days, when I did the interview with him, we both couldn't describe what he was thinking about. Right. But it was a great idea, and in that, that case, it works. Yeah. Well, we, we, we do a lot of, um, you know, Commodore-based stuff, and mm -hmm. you get, you know, you hear the stories over and over again from guys like, you know, Bill Hurd and whatnot that were big in Commodore, and it's always about, you know, this is kind of where things went wrong, and... and the marketers were, were taking care of things here, and that's why this flopped, and the LCD never happened. But, but you know, like like you said, you know, it would be amazing if we could see an interview from them from 1986 when they were mm. in the middle of this, you know, working yeah. on it, and see the difference. Because again, everything he's talking about is based on retrospect, you know, on on looking back at it. This was mm -hmm. a terrible mistake, but at the time, that was the that was gospel. That's what you were working on, and that was going to change the world, you know. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, it's it's super important to to be able to put the uh, put it all in context, really, mm -hmm. because yeah, things think, attitudes do change over time. Yeah, I think. Um, did you guys ever saw the uh, Hold and Catch Fire a TV series? I didn't know. No, okay, no. check it out. It's it's on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. It's, it's Hold and Catch Fire. And if you watch the first season, it's so much of 
of the feeling of, of, of Commodore and Amiga and all this stuff because it were, it's, it's about a, a startup. Um, I mean, that days we haven't called it startup. <laughs> it was a young company, yeah? But, but right. it was a startup story of a, of a, of a guy who, who decided the computers have to be different. And it's, a, it's a, like a Steve Jobs uh, style mm -hmm. story. But the funny thing is, if you watch it and you know about the history, you you see there is something in from Apple, there's something in from Atari, there's something in, in from from Amiga and Commodore and stuff like that because they, they they try to put together all those stories to one story. How is how was it? Hmm. And it's it's just great. Just it's the first season of the best. Second is okay, but first season is one. If you if you have an idea of the history, it's a it's it's great to watch it. So I I really recommend that. So. Now let's talk about one thing. When when I talk to many youngsters, like twenty plus, youngsters, we're not that old, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. old York is talking to yeah. youngsters. You're right. Hello, so youngster. okay, old man, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm turning uh, thirty-eight next year, so yeah, hey, yeah. Um, hey, I'm fifty-six. So what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, it it it's it is something that's happening in the generation set, as they call it nowadays, the last generation. That um, those people are not really interested in the history of how things happened in in technology society. Many people tell me, oh, it's nice that you are doing so inter such interviews and talk to, to the old people. But why should I be interested in that? Mm. Um, that's um, often a comment I hear. Or when, when I go to shows like um, like Gamescom, the young kids tell me, oh, I'm so happy that I didn't live back in the day. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, and I want to I want to preface that, too, by by, you know, what we I mentioned earlier about this stuff becoming more of a um, like an appliance something that you just use every day and something that i've i've noticed is that back in the 80s and even the 90s um computers were a hobby like you were a guy that was interested in computers and it almost feels like that doesn't exist anymore because computers are a thing that is ubiquitous everybody's got one and it would be the same as me being like my hobby is a microwave mm -hmm. You know, and so, <laughs> okay. right. So, so I, I feel like a lot of people are kind of losing interest in the, the history of it because again, it's not something where, you know, they how it works isn't so much important to them anymore. Like, like when we used, you know, when we messed with the, the Commodore, it was important to know the history of it and and the, the players involved because, and 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 how everything worked and how that derived from other machines and whatnot because mm -hmm. that was kind of like what you were that was sort of like your, your hobby and your passion and, and whatever. Whereas now it's like, it's, it's, it's a box that I watch YouTube on and mm. you know, how it, the history of it and what happened to get there is maybe not as important to people. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's not so important to them. I think this is, um, again, both sides of those story. Um, I think if if you're trying to tell somebody something, which he is, in first row, not interested in, mm -hmm. and by the way, this is 
I will say 80% of things you find through which media ever which comes to you. You are not interested. You have so much things to consider. You know, your, your I don't know, um, your teachers talking to you, your um, colleagues are talking to you, you, you read newspapers in which kind of form ever now. Um, you have so much input that the first thing is that, hey, stop, stop. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to know. Even if you don't say it, you say, oh, this is very interesting. But also something different. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so the first question is, is it relevant to the people? And the only way of giving them an answer to that is to make it relevant to them. So if you, if you do a story which is not very, very interesting and engaging to a lot of people, you have to think of how to tell it. It's not a question of if it's important to them. It's a question of do you manage it to make it important to them? Because you know that's your job as a journalist, for example. You know you should know that. You should know that Commodore was important. You should know that quite a lot of things you're now using will be not there if something wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a TV show several years ago about the history of a, of a, of a part of Germany, Niedersachsen. And honestly, nobody cares about it, first of all, because anyways, I don't want to have history in my TV. But what we did is we, we find a way of telling those stories about the history from the Stone Age to now, mm-hmm. for that people that were willing to watch one and a half hours, and we had really good um, ratings on that show. So it can work, but, and this is the point, it's quite a lot of work, and it does not work on any story. Right. But if you have a story to tell, which is in your heart and in your mind, and you have the ability to tell it, you have the craft of telling stories, then I think you can manage it. And this is why I think something like Digisauria, for example, is a way of doing it, trying to do that. So if you if you come to the website and you see the first story about, I don't know, um, other lovelies. You do, we are just searching about lovelies because you do have to do some something in school about her, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you find out, whoops, there's a whole s- series of stories uh, about women. Women? In IT, yes, and you find out that we tell uh, tell you there's a woman without hair. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates will have big trouble in inventing a graphical interface if she was not there at that time, mm-hmm. long before. And then you suddenly, perhaps, you think, hey, I should perhaps read that or watch that. This is the idea of journalism. It's not the idea of telling you things which are really important to you because those things are a part of the classical news story. Mm-hmm. It's happening now. Those guys are meeting somewhere in the world. Um, somebody is trying to make, to, to burn up the whole Amazonas. Yeah, I'm interested because I know it's a problem. But by the way, I just found out in, in a kind of, which was really incredible, in a kind of, of, of thread somewhere about somebody who said, hey, I heard 
Amazon is burning and I have a problem. I, I, I just um, uh, ordered something by them. I don't know if I get it now. And somebody told him, um, no, it's not Amazon. It's the Amazonas, you know? And then he added, oh, it's not Amazon. Oh, great. I uh, was I was really uh, no, angry about, uh, 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 anxious about that. I didn't get my stuff. <laughs> yeah. He did not know what Amazonas is and how important it is to, to him. He didn't know. It was a, a story. I don't know if it was a meme or it was real too, but it was a, a thread I, I saw on, I don't know where, um, one of the social networks. And I think, yep, if you don't, if you're not interested in the Amazonas, because you think, hey, it's so far away, then perhaps you or, or, or me, we can't help those people. Right. But anybody who is somehow interested in his world, he is living in somehow, we just have to make it easier for him to engage with our stories and tell him our stories, and then we, it will work, I think, I hope. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, just like here in Germany with Rezo, I'm making a video about the climate change and political matters and suddenly everybody here in Germany is talking about the climate change and a Swedish teenage girl who, who is an activist and started Fridays for Future so mm -hmm. um, sometimes things have just to happen or, or another example would be article 13 for the EU law mm -hmm. that was also a big topic here so sometimes some things have to happen and then Suddenly, the society is interested, you know. Yeah, but, um, but, but, but talking about Rezo, about those YouTube video, the interesting point was Rezo was not saying, I will talk to you about climate change. What he was saying, it was his, his quote on the video was, how to destroy a party, in that case, the CDU, which is uh, something like the Democrats, uh, like the Republicans in, in the US. Mm -hmm. So, he did not say, I want to talk about climate change. He said how to, 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 um, to try to, to translate it for U.S. It, it, he, he, he made shortly before an election a video which was saying how to destroy the Republican Party, which is a completely different thing. And then he was talking all the, most of the time about climate change. So um, I think what he was doing, he was trying to... to um, make a headline which engages you on the first and then he was trying to deliver a quality of speech because it was a talking only video mm -hmm. he delivered a quality of speech which which engaged quite a lot of young people that's why they watched it in millions of youtube clicks right. and that was over an hour which is yeah. not the normal average time <laughs> a, a youngster even if you don't if you don't like the phrase would watch a video yeah but but to be honest, it was a rant. I mean, it was not a a, um, a very um, um, balanced speech about climate change and how parties have lost the connection to to the important story and how they have lost the connection to young people. It was not a balanced speech. It was a rant. And this is the only thing which I really I'm anxious about is about um, people. As long as they are uh, arguing in a rent way, in a very angry way, in a very rough way, blunt way, um, then it works. If you don't do that, it's much harder to get here. And this is uh, 
one of the things I really don't like at the actual situation in media. Hmm. How do you fix the audience interest problem on Dicky Sauer? Or don't you, don't you even bother with looking at the statistics, how many people look on your articles, read them, and what is the most interesting topic? Hmm. Um, I'm doing what, what I did um, all the years I'm in media now. I'm trying to make a kind of scorecard, you know. Um, I mean, there are some articles I know they will run because they have a great headline, they have a great story. And then I put it, all the first time articles where I know it's harder to, to read them, but because of the other stuff, people coming, mm -hmm. watching, reading, and we see that they are, you know, going, um, they stay longer on the site. So you're trying to read other articles. Um, and so I think I'm always trying to make a kind of, of package what you get. And you do that within your text. You do that within the whole site. You do it within your story or your, your, your video. So um, the most important thing is have trying to make a, a good balance between, um, um, yeah, it's, it's you, you call it, after all, storytelling. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's um, tell you something which, just watch TED Talks, which is a great example for, how people only talking with not big PowerPoint things, which just some examples. Some do. Some yeah, talks yes. are with PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, they, they can use PowerPoint, but it, the question is: Is the PowerPoint your 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 um, your um, your blind sheet? Your your um, um, you know all, all the text you are telling people is also on your PowerPoint sheet, which is the most awful way of presenting a story. <laughs> yes, you write everything down and then you just read it and then you put more and more stuff around it. It doesn't make sense. But if you look at, at TED Talks, you see what they do. They do a kind of dramatization. They're trying to tell you a story which engages you. Then they, they uh, go to the points which are not so interesting, coming back to something which is interesting. So it's always a kind of, of game mm -hmm. between you and, and the person who is listening or watching. And this game is hard to play. It's, uh, it's my lifelong role play. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So I'm looking at uh, uh, the, the website, the Digisaur, mm. or Digisaur, mm. however you say it. Um, and there are a lot of articles on here already. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty well populated. And right off the bat, I've already found what what the hell are kids doing on TikTok? Which uh, yeah, is right. Something I've been That's asking for like right. three months now. So this is actually <laughs> actually very useful. <laughs> you see, the funny thing is, these are articles where we know, especially the TikTok thing, mm -hmm. which helps us quite a lot um, uh, for 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 reach, uh, because people are searching something like that. Right. So they're searching like, what is TikTok or what. What can I do at TikTok? And then our, our articles rank because they exactly tell about that. Mm -hmm. And the more the Google algorithm is going to, to watch for the, for the real content, not for buzzwords, which are 15 times in the text, right. more for the content and, and how long stay the people there, um, the better this for us. So all the Google updates in the last 
let's say one and a half years, were positive for us. Hmm. Uh, just just skimming it. I mean, I've barely even. I'm on the front page, and there's three articles that already. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I'm going to have to add that to my reading list because it's stuff that is relevant and that 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 I've been asking. You know. Yeah. Too to, bad it's German only. Yeah. No, no, no mine, mine. I don't know how well you can see this, but mine has you can translate, right? translated automatically. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't. I didn't. Yeah. It didn't even ask me to translate. It just translated. Yeah, this is this is mom. Google is uh, caring for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> translating of stuff. Our, so our... why should I do it if they do it? Right. Now, yeah. I, to be honest, um, Jörg, you're right. Um, there could be the idea of doing it uh, international, but from our point of view, it doesn't make so much sense because we are concentrating very on. I mean. It's not only of a question of the, of the language. It's a question of the of the people. What are people mm-hmm. interested in? And the TikTok story will work worldwide, I think. Right. Um, but other stories we have never will. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to to make all the efforts to translate it. And if somebody really wants to to understand it, he can use some translation things also because they are there. Right. So I don't have to do it by my by myself. But mm-hmm. I think. In in a, in a days when we did the computer books, we had to find somebody, uh, another publisher in U.S. or in Spain or in Italy, who were translating the books and bringing it on the market. This is over now. There are no people I need to be somewhere in U.S. Mm-hmm. If somebody is interested in our stories, he will find us. If not, he doesn't. I mean. He lost nothing. Right. right <laughs> he right. wasn't interested in it, so he would never do the the work you just did, AJ, and say, "Hey, mm-hmm. translate this, please, for me, that I can understand it." Mm-hmm. Uh, he he. They will never never do that because they are not interested in the story at all. So I think it's important to understand that your stories, whatever stories you are doing, are not for everyone. Never. Mm-hmm. They're only for a special group. And to be honest, if you just look at Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or things like that, you find out the smaller your or the smaller the group is you have. And the more they are real people, mm-hmm. not bots and not um people just you know right, hit yeah. it like mm-hmm. because of I don't know what, the better the engagement, for example, in a live uh, session is. Because you can you can create higher live session engagements with 500 people, um, friends, lovers, how, however you will call it or what right. the uh, social network does. You can have more engagement than with 50,000 mm-hmm. if those 50,000 are not really engaged in the basic of your story. So this is why I think um, we have to consider that it is not important to have the biggest website in the world. This was long years ago an important part. When you remember the beginning of Facebook, everybody was looking about how many fans does the yeah, site yeah. have. It was absolutely bullshit like we know now. We right. didn't I know still that do. Time. <laughs> but now we know it, was, it doesn't help you anything. You can have six million followers and, and they don't engage at all. Mm-hmm. You don't know why, because three more from some are somehow from, from India, from a click farm, and the other ones are just like <laughs> Nutella, because yeah. they like Nutella, but they never engage with Nutella. So it's important to, to find the right audience group and, and the right size for the story you have, and then it's okay. I mean, just think, Germany had about 
80 million um, 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 uh, people living here. <laughs> and about 10 million are watching the Tiger Show, which is the most important news show we have. Mm -hmm. So just think about that. I, I mean, which means the relation is quite a lot didn't watch Tiger Show. I don't know what they're watching, probably watch RTL 2 <laughs> news, which is something like um, celebrity news more than real news. But for them, it's okay. Mm. So I think it's important to decide which is my audience, how great can it be, how can I grow, naturally grow in my audience if I have a website like yours. Yeah. What you're doing is if people are interested in computer history, they didn't, they have no chance of getting beside you. They, they have one day earlier or later, they will find your interviews and your stuff, right. you, uh, stuff you're doing. You <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind no way of out. you. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, okay. it's true. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's kind. Yeah, but, but it's true. It's, you can't. If, when I was researching before we know each other, I found the site because you had interviews. But hey, great! Look, there's Nolan again. Things like that. Yeah. It was before we know each other. So yes, it's, it's true. It's true. When when I contacted you through Facebook, the first reaction you had was like, "Oh, I was looking at your content already, so I know yeah, right. who you are. No introduction needed." I was like, "Okay, right, right. that was very easy." Yeah. You say that's yeah. how easy it is nowadays. Yeah. Well, I've got a, like I've got a I, question for you, just because I'm I'm curious about your opinion on on this. Because you mentioned earlier on in the podcast how TV, you know, plain TV is going away. Yeah. Um, now I've got a background in in journalism, writing, you know, newspapers, magazines, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, and that also is kind of disappearing to the point yeah. where where you know traditional publishing is almost. It's 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 that's disappearing soon, you know, pretty soon. Um, there's so much; it's so much easier to get your stuff and get it out there and and around where people can see it. Mm. What's your opinion on on this? Because to me, it feels like on one level, it's a good thing because because a lot of people that that were good at this, that were good at you know writing fiction or making movies or whatever, have so much more. Um, so many more avenues to release their stuff but on the same token it's like anybody can release their stuff so so yeah there might be one or two that are really good but then you've got 80,000 that are nonsense that are also mm -hmm. releasing so it's it's a real mixed bag for me and I'm just kind of curious how you feel about the way it's it's everything's transitioning to this mm. it's it's a it's a two-faced situation um, um, from my point of view. Um, first thing is you're right when you say people now can publish. They just can do it. Mm -hmm. um, before you had the gatekeeper like a TV station or your editor-in-chief or something like that. Right. But now you have a gatekeeper who is called YouTube, and it's not a person which you can argue with. It is an algorithm. And mm -hmm. um, this can be very, very painful for people who are successful on a, on a platform. Just look at the whole story from YouTube for the last three years. In the last three years, um, YouTube changed its behavior um, to the creators very, very much. You could read about it. You can hear about it. Mm -hmm. um, and those guys suddenly lost their um, monetization 
because suddenly YouTube changed some part of the how to be successful YouTube things. Right. And they they were not warned. They were not able to to discuss with them or to to say, hey, um, uh, we we have to think about that and that and that in my thing. For example, we have in Germany a guy who is doing very um, successful uh, YouTube channel about uh, how you call it Steinschleuder. Um, Slingshot. How? Slingshot. I don't know. You know those things where you um, yeah. you shoot. Yeah. So he I don't know. Aj, is yeah, it slingshot? Yeah, that's a slingshot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the funny thing is, this guy now had a problem because. One of the YouTube uh, uh, of the new rules of YouTube was nothing with weapons. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually spoke to H.A. about FairTube. Yeah, you know, you know, H.A. We spoke about that. Yeah. And and what what Christian means is Jörg uh, Jörg Sprade, and yeah. and and H.A. You said they will ignore him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yet yeah, just think yeah. about it. you have. Millions of people watching your videos about those things. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I would never have watched it, but he had an audience uh, who was dedicated to such stories. Great. And then suddenly somebody says, oh, this is something like a weapon. And because we had to dis have a discussion with our advertisers, and this was the story behind, um, we, kid we killed it. We, we just lower it down you you don't get your reach anymore right. this is real bad so there is still a gatekeeper and so after all we can say it hasn't changed too much i know more people who want to be successful want to be a youtube star than people who are youtube stars right and it's the same thing we had in journalism in the days before we had quite a lot of people, some very talented, where you say, hey, this person didn't make it. Why? You don't understand it. He writes great stories. He had, she had great ideas, everything great, but they didn't manage it somehow. You don't know why. Mm -hmm. And somebody like me, who is perhaps not so talented like those person, made it. I don't know why. <laughs> Just lucky punch. It's really true. I mean, this... I mean this honestly. It's a, it was a lucky punch that I was able to get in journalism. But right. it's the same thing is with TV stations, with magazines and co. So I think it is important that there is a gatekeeper. I think it is important that gatekeepers think about their responsibility on that, what they are doing there. Mm -hmm. I think it is important that they find out that they are making our world in a very, very special part of it, in media relation, in knowing about stories. And this is why I think it is a two-faced two story, a two-sided story, because on the one hand, I said, yeah, now you just go and publish, do it. Take your webcam, take your PC, go out and tell the world about whatever you think what is important. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think there are quite a lot of people which are doing things now, which I personally think it, we would have 
been better off without them doing this. Right. Without them telling stories, without them engaging people. Mm-hmm. But it's not about uh, lying. It's not about um, um, in, in, in Germany the, the term of Lügenpresse, of, of uh, um, fake news stuff. It is simply that if you tell your side of the story, this is okay. If you're trying to tell your side of the story with quite a lot of fake content, Mm -hmm. it is not okay. But who decides what is true and what is okay and what not? An algorithm at the moment can't do it. So there must be people doing it. So this is a point where we are in a very, very special situation, which we never had before, because we always had people before deciding. Mm -hmm. Now we have something where we really don't know. Nobody from us knows what really is happening at Facebook. um, Moderation uh, crew? Yeah, something like that, you know. Uh, We don't know what they're doing. What what are they seeing? What do they get? What is the algorithm letting through? I don't know. You don't know because this is a big secret. But Mm -hmm. we don't know. But it changes our world. It changes the way we talk to each other. This is um, something which is a problem without having that what you just said, magazines or TV stations or whatever. But... The question was never um, if print is going away. I don't care oh, about. Well, yeah, I don't think it ever will. I care. We, I care about stories. Right. If they are coming through my PC or if they coming on paper, I I don't care as long as I can get them. Mm-hmm. But what I'm caring about is how honestly is the story, how well crafted is the story, how much effort was going in that story. And now this is, from my point, the biggest problem we have in in classical news industry or or journalism industry. Um, It was too easy to earn money with journalism in the days before the internet. It was too easy just take some agency news, Mm -hmm. print it and say, this is your newspaper. Yeah. And because if you were living in Stuttgart and you, you're reading Stuttgarter Nachrichten or, I don't know, the New York Times and the Pennsylvania Inquirer, you never found out that both have this exactly the same story. Nobody cared about it. It was just a, a news agency info. Yeah, they pulled info, off of the AP or something and stuck it in there. Right. You did not know. And and the, the cheaper the um, publisher could get his content, mm-hmm. The worse it was, but nobody knew. There was well, no alternative. And, and now we have the sponsored stories that, that you get in a lot right. of the smaller ones because they'll actually pay to put the story in. Yeah. And it's total nonsense because it's just meant to sell something. Right. So this is why I think it's, 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 I think it's an own podcast <laughs> talking about the, the media industry. But we made mistakes 20 years ago. And the internet made them visible. Mm-hmm. And now the whole thing is like like those I don't know you, you know these tic tac uh, um, 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 uh, balls where you yeah. one clicks clicks on the next mm-hmm. and and the 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 pendulum yep. is a <laughs> what is 
Mm. Jörg, help me. What is Pendle? Uh, good question. Pen Pendle. Uh, I, I know, know those. The, yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know the balls. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, I don't know. But you know, that, it's the other thing which says if if those thing is playing out that way, mm -hmm. and it goes back, it's going back the same way. Pendulum. Goes, sorry. Pendulum. Pendulum. Okay, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that I think the the pendulum was somewhere here before the internet right and now it's going back the only question i have is i don't know is it already here or is it worse to come i don't know what i hope is that we find those not right. so large um scales we have now at the moment if we find a way of of moderating the whole story then it will be from my point of view okay again Although with the internet, it's not a question of the internet. It's a question of people who are making media. Hmm. Yeah, I'm hoping that the uh, the the current influx of of there's there's a lot of of attention being spent uh, revealing like that a lot of the stuff that you see online is not real and it's it, right. it is a fake story meant to to do something. And I'm hoping that this will um, encourage people to research what they're reading a little bit better. I don't mm. have great faith in that, but that's my hope. <laughs> but if that, if that happens, then, then things can be, things can get a little bit better. But if not, mm. you, you get a lot of, I, I hear it all the time from people where they, they say something that's, that's just wrong. And I'll, I'll say, well, that's not, not true. And their answer is, well, that's my opinion and I'm entitled to an opinion. Like no, even if it's wrong, right? Yeah. That's not an opinion. That's just that's just wrong. You know, like <laughs> you know, like like your 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 an opinion is I don't like fish, right? And an opinion is not fish are not an animal. You know, right. it, it's that that's that's not an opinion. <laughs> but but you know, the don't. problem is um, what we found out is I I I never ha thought that this can be because this can happen. But the funny thing is that. People obviously don't care about if it's true or not, mm -hmm. as long it is in their LA, as long as it right. is their it opinion. Reinforces a belief they have already. Right. Yeah. This is a bad thing. I mean, just I mean, just think about quite a lot of politicians we have in charge now. They are telling the people things. Then somebody came around and say, "Hey, this is not true." But because the things those people are telling them, they mm -hmm. like more than the truth. So right. they just blend away the truth. Right. So if you don't think about climate change because you are in coal industry, I can't imagine. I mean, I can't understand that. But this, the problem is as long as somebody tells you, um, don't care about it. It's not true. My, my way is true. There's no climate change. And people say, oh, this is great. And then they believe in it. Right. And the funny thing, we were trained to that as children. If you remember, remember a thunderstorm and you were, I don't know, four years old, five years old, and your parents told you, don't be scared, nothing will happen. It was not true. Mm -hmm. it you, they could not know right. if there will be, you know, a kind of a thunderstorm, a kind of blizzard, a kind of, I don't know what, coming to your house. They did not know. Right. But they told you, don't be scared. Nothing will happen. And the funny thing is, you wanted to believe it. Mm -hmm. And this 
thing goes on and on. And so we were trained very early in believing something which helps us to, to, to get around a fear we have. And all the people, and this is one thing we have to accept, who are in their own bubble, in their own storyline thing, mm-hmm. even if it's not true what they're telling or what they're hearing, but most of those people have a fear. And there's somebody who told, tells them, you don't have to be afraid. If Boris Johnson is telling the British people, you don't have to be afraid about a Brexit, then there's quite a lot of people who say, great, yeah, thanks, yeah. that's what I wanted to right. know. Yeah. That's it. It's mm. since they're four years old. So I think <clears throat> it's, yeah. I hope with you, but I have my doubts. <laughs> well, as we learned, there is no such thing as fake news. They are called alternative facts. Yeah, alternative yeah. facts, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so where do you want to go from here with, with your portal? What's the next big step for you? I I don't think we have big steps. Um, um, I'm. I had the last um, um, two and a half months um, trying to figure out how I can arrange all the things I want to do with the real time I have, <laughs> which is the biggest problem all the time. How many? T- uh, so many things. So many ideas. So many things to do, and so less time. Um, but. The last two and a half months was quite a lot of thinking about the different formats I have. I mean, I have um, Facebook Live and YouTube Live. We have, um, I got access to LinkedIn Live, which is a different kind of group of people. I was uh, experimenting two months with LinkedIn Live. Uh, what do people like? How engage uh, the people and all this stuff? And um, I'm actually still in, 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 in a way of trying to find a way of doing, for example, um, how long can a show be? Um, I mean, LinkedIn Live, they tell you like all the live um, um, accesses, Facebook or YouTube tell you, be at least 30 minutes. Hmm. Reality is people don't have time 30 minutes most of the time. So I wonder how can I, I I understand what they mean. They say, if you're 30 minutes, we have longer time to play it out to the audience and and get audience attracted. And then you get uh, a lot of views or more views than if you're only 10 minutes. So I think um, I'm working on a a kind of schedule for different shows, um, uh, which where you can count on the length so that you know this show is not longer than 10 minutes. This show is about 20 minutes, and this show is 30 minutes or longer. Mm-hmm. So that you can decide by yourself if you want to see that. And then the next point is how to put the show in segments and play it out on different channels or on the same channel in smaller bits. Right. Because the most important thing is not that they watch the whole show. The most important thing is that the info, the story I have to tell is there where the audience is. And sometimes the audience has time, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and sometimes they even don't have two minutes. So I'm trying to find out how can we do that. And uh, in the last 12 months, we did a lot of experiments with um, reposting stories. Mm-hmm. Means we had a show about, I don't know, three quarters of an hour, and then we 
put on the same channel smaller bits of the show. And I just wanted, wow, perhaps now people would say, hey, I, I thought that, I knew that, that that's what you did two weeks ago or a week ago. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. Hmm. It did not happen. The point is, you have to be aware that there are always more people who haven't seen a content you created right. than they have seen a content you created, even in your small audience of a Digisaria Facebook page or whatever, because the algorithm don't play out to everybody. It plays out to parts. It depends on how, how sharp the content is, how focused it is, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, that's where we just trying to find a way. For example, another thing we did, we started um, beginning of this year, we said there is no story in print, means as a text on, on Digisaria, which not will be also a video story. We use special tools like uh, cartoon video stuff or, or, or text video stuff or whatever. If you, if you uh, watch the, um, the uh, story about the um, uh, computer woman, you will find several videos in the meantime out there about those computer women, which are just telling in a short way the story which you can read. Right. Because you think sometimes it's better for you to read it. Sometimes you have more the option of watching it. It depends on how your personal situation actually is. If you're on a, on a, on a train station in Germany and the train is about 10 minutes late, you have 10 minutes time. <laughs> You're glad and lucky that I have 10 minutes info for you where you can say, oh, I have time, I'm sitting down and watch it. If you got in the train and you were trying to watch a 10 minute video story in Germany, it will be a little bit hard because the connection of the net is not good enough. Right. You simply can't watch 10 minutes video in most of the German trains. Mm -hmm. It means then what you can do is you can read the story on a Digisaria or you put it in pocket or whatever offline reader you want and read it in the train without having the connection. So what we say is um, we don't want to discriminate people through the way, through the content uh, form. We want to try to give everybody access to our stories in every way he can. And this, for example, is also a question of this uh, theme podcast because podcasts can be longer because people are listening in it when they are driving in the car, mm -hmm. making sports or things like that. They have much more time on a podcast mm -hmm. uh, than they have on a TV show or a kind of, of, of web show. So this is the most important thing for us and it's a ongoing process. That's why I meant it's not one big thing we do. It's just several small steps going on and, and trying to make the content more accessible and more successful. That's it. So where can people find your stuff? Um, the, the hardest place is LinkedIn <laughs> because <laughs> LinkedIn is really hard to find and all the thing you did some weeks ago has to do with the way LinkedIn is organized in the stream, in the newsfeed. And that's a thing where I'm working on how, how can I how can I make the, the oldest things I did on LinkedIn accessible? <laughs> but first of all, easiest way is you can follow me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, or on um, uh, uh, Instagram, on the Twitter um, to find out because we were trying to put a part or the whole story on all that channels so that you're not, not uh, missing something. So if you're interested more in the things which Digisauria is doing, you can follow Digisauria. Um, on LinkedIn, it's always a personal page. 
because um, it's the same, by the way, with, with Facebook. Um, I think you know that um, a personal page always plays out better than a company page or a fan page. That's it. This is why I do a lot of, on my personal pages. The easiest way is just follow me on the platforms as a person, and then you will find all the content I have, and then you can decide that you say, okay, I want to, I don't know, I want to be a fan of Digisaria also, I want to be a, a YouTube abonnent from, from uh, Digisaria, something like that. Yeah, and we'll put links to everything that you said in the podcast description below so that people can click on them and check all that stuff out. Great. All, all right. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay, so thanks, thanks for, for your time. time. Yes. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> no if problem. you need anything, just let me know. Okay? All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye-bye.